0: the best available man in this... The man who knows that plane inside and out. It won't crack under
1: pressure. Ron and Anian. Hey, it looks like we uh, put wheels on the garage and dragged it down here to Virginia. We're at the Virginia Beach Coastal Auto Show. What kind of plane is
2: it? Oh, it's a big, pretty white plane with red stripes and curtains in the window and wheels, and it looks like a big
1: Tylenol. The Car Doctor. That's what cars are. It's that human connection to something mechanical.
0: Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian. The Car Doctor, since 1991 this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving
1: you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... Yeah,
3: don't got no brains in here.
1: Here's Ronnie. You know that scene in Abbott and Costello, hold that ghost where Costello's running around the haunted house? And he finally burst into the room. He stuck and and real people, real people. It's either that or or, or or Frankenstein. Evan and Costello meet Frankenstein. That's how I feel today, because it's like I'm home, real people. You know, it's, it's, it's it was just a crazy weekend last weekend, and uh, if, if you missed it, we're going to talk about it today. Ron and Eenie and the car doctor, at your service, by the way. Uh, we were at the Coastal Virginia Auto Show, and um, uh, the auto show was great. The, the experience, the people are wonderful down there. I can't say enough nice things, and I will tell you all about it in the next two hours. But, uh, you know, the experience at the airport, that before we, before we open the garage doors... It's It's what are the odds, right? And I got up I was at the airport at 10 o'clock for a 130 flight and tradition as always in, in every time I travel, um, I'm always the guy wearing the RA automotive t-shirt okay always I I, I'm always ready to go back to work. It's just something I've done for the past 40 years and I guess it's a symbolic flip of my mind that you know what you're away, it's time to go home, get ready, go to work, boom right. I walk in, blue jeans, Oreo automotive t-shirt, you know, my, my switch. I'm ready to go. Let's go to work. But, you know, i got to go to the airport. 10 o'clock, one thirty flight. I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And quarter to one, the announcement mm-hmm. that they were going to board at quarter to one, but now there's going to be a delay because of air traffic over Newark, New Jersey. Okay, I get that. We want to be safe. It's got to be safe. And I still think it has something to do with the weather because of the winds. Okay, I get that. And about... Forty-five minutes later, the announcement comes out that the flight's going to be delayed again because one of the tires is losing air. Come on, really? You know, and and I kind of walked up to because I, as you can, you know, I sort of have an outgoing personality, and I, I had been talking with the crew that was waiting to board the plane. And, and and I you know, listen, I you know, kinda of gave it the flip of the shirt and I said, Look at my shirt, you know look like, I'm a mechanic, I'm me gonna go out there and put air in the tire, like you know, I will put a little spit on the valve, we'll see if the stem's leaking, you know, like come on, let's go, let's get the plane up, you know, it's the longer we're waiting here, the flatter it's gonna get. They didn't like that idea. So we waited another forty five minutes and they announced that the planes be, the flights being canceled till six PM the next day. Are you ready for this? You think the car industry has problems? Because United Air Express doesn't have a spare tire at Norfolk airport and they have to fly one in from Richmond and they have to fly in a maintenance crew to fix it. Cause it's Sunday. Really? Like, you know, I mean, there was, there was better than four, maybe six of these United air express jets down there at Norfolk. And I'm thinking this is right next to Norfolk air force base. This is like a Naval base. This is the, this is the best we got. We don't have a, sp- do we have any spare parts for the plane at all? What if the thing's low on washer fluid? We can't, you know what? The plane doesn't fly. Like this is crazy. So it would take two hours to bring the spare tire down from Richmond with a maintenance crew to fix it. And by then, the air crew would time out, so they canceled everybody's flight. All right? You know, somewhere along the way, I got smart. I heard the flight was canceled for that reason. Everybody on the flight went towards the counter to argue. I grabbed my bag, and I ran. All right? This is, this is a tip from the car doctor. Just run. You're never going to win this argument. Get to the rental car counter. I got to the rental car counter. I went through all five car rental agencies. That's how many they had there in Norfolk. That was it. And nobody had a car except for Avis. And I want to thank the lady at Avis. She had no clue who I was. I got to get home, lady. I got to be in New York on Monday. All right. Um, I have one car for you, sir. It's an SUV. I'll take it. Do you want to know how much? I don't care. All right. Here's my credit card. Get me out of here. She gave me $40 off as a discount because she knew, you know, the plane had been canceled. And very nice. I can't say enough nice things about Avis and the way they handle it. The first five, the first four agencies: um, Enterprise, Hertz, and uh, Budget is what I remember. I can't remember the fourth one. They just were very. Nope, we don't have any cars. You uh, know, wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed at all. Uh, but it's just it's nice to be home. It really is nice to be here talking to each and every one of you. And uh, the experience in Virginia, it was great. And we're going to talk about this hour that. It was such a regional phenomena. Here we are again, right? Auto repair is a national trend, with regional regional results, and the culture is regional. There wasn't. I think there was one 32 Ford in the building. I didn't see more than that. A 32 Ford five-window coupe. That was it. in In the New York North Jersey area, there's tons of 32 Fords at every car shop. But what was down there was some of the most down-to-earth honest and dirty real drivers there were a couple of 69 z28s that they were drivers they were just everyday cars like it was 1973 all over again and here's the used car in the family that kind of thing um there was a dusenberg there which i realize isn't an everyday car for some people but the dusenberg was like a piece of jewelry it was stunning it just you just walked by it and even if you didn't know what it was you had to go wow it was just a wow moment and it had been a long time since I'd seen a Duesenberg, and I, I so it's, it's probably the first time I ever saw one that close and that nice. It was it was a real sharp car, but um, just just great stuff, really great stuff. Um, I, I've got to tell you, the the drive over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge was as frightening as I remember it, and um, we'll talk about that too this hour. But right now, let me uh, let me kick the garage doors open. Let's go over to Ryan in Maine, and let's get the phones going uh ryan you're on with the car doctor how can i help sir
0: hey ron how's it going good
1: sir what's cooking
0: well uh admittedly i know more about uh gunsmithing and guitars than i do about cars but uh, i have a 2006 toyota camry uh, standard transmission and last night this just started i haven't had a chance to get it on the sensor or anything on a reader there Okay. and uh started the car no problems prior to this. All of a sudden, I heard, when I started it, I heard this whining noise, which went away after five to ten seconds, and my battery light was on on the dashboard. Wh- which,
1: which, engine is, I, which engine is this,
0: Ryan? Four-cylinder. Okay. Um, everything I have read online has said this points to a failing alternator.
1: Possibly, sure. Yeah.
0: Um I've never actually encountered any of this. I don't know. I had a friend who said it might be the belt on it. Maybe the belt is slipping, and that's the reason it went away after a few few seconds. Maybe it, the belt heated up or something. But Could I'm not really yeah, sure. or the
1: belt or the belt slipping, and now the belt is now the belt is spinning the alternator correctly, and it's it's caught up. So what can I do for you? Are you looking for some diagnostic tips?
0: Well, yeah diagnostic tips and, and you know what would cause that? do you think that would cause the, the battery light to come on and then obviously the battery light's not going to go off until you clear the, the system right?
1: Well the battery light will come on the battery light will come on um, when the charging system voltage falls below a specific limit. So let's okay. let, let's start at the beginning. Uh, does it has it is, has it only done it once or does it do it now on a continuous basis that the light is on or was that a one-time event?
0: very first time if anything's happened with this car
1: okay so what, did you start it today did, did it do the same thing today or you haven't driven it yet
0: started it today a couple times turned it off restarted it um did not hear the noise anymore but the battery light's still on
1: okay so do you have a voltmeter i don't all right um do you have any kind of tools what kind of tools do you have
0: yeah just basic woodworking tools all
1: right so you've got to get it to a shop somebody's got to somebody's got to test the charging system it it's probably a charging system issue or the charging system voltage isn't right so right now you're running off the battery okay all right so you really shouldn't drive the car further than taking it to a repair shop as soon as possible because you're you're kind of like the starship enterprise when the warp drive goes out you're now running yeah. on impulse power All right. And we all know what happens when the impulse power was gone. Scotty was in trouble, and so will you be. All right. right. So they're going to have to do a charging system test. What's charging voltage? It's, It's more than likely battery voltage or less at this point. And then they should be able to do some pinpoint tests to see, and it's, it's pretty cut and dry. There should be a three- or four-wire alternator, not counting the heavy battery lug wire that comes up to the back post. They should see battery voltage at that heavy lug, and then the remaining three or four wires. It's simple key-on, engine-off, uh, key-off tests to make sure there's voltage there at the proper time. And then at that stage of the game, it becomes an alternator. Now, the fact that the belt is, I'm sorry, the battery light is still on, there's no more squeal, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, the fact that there's no more squeal tells me that if the belt was still slipping, it would still be squealing, right? I mean, think about it. Right. It's logical. Not to say when they look at this or when you look at this, look at the belt, is the belt scorched, burnt, cracked, failing? Does it look like it's beat up because perhaps the alternator binding internally? And that's what made the belt squeal in the first place as, it, as as the alternator started to jam up.
0: Well, I was looking at the belt today under the under the daylight, and I guess uh, on the, like, the tracks that run on the in- inside side of the belt, right, there the were grooves. a few yeah. like, cracks and stuff.
1: Yeah, so it's time for a belt, um, too.
0: And uh, the other question I have is the car's got, I've never really replaced anything on the engine area, and it's got almost 150,000 miles on it. Okay. Alternators, I'm looking, I'm seeing anywhere from 2 to $350, and I'm looking to get rid of the car in March. So do you think that's something I should still replace it and put the money into it or potentially just look at keeping it grounded? Because I do have another vehicle I could drive. Could I potentially just keep it grounded until I'm ready to get rid of it, or is that something I should really invest in? Uh,
1: I, I think that, you know, it's where are we? We're November, December, right? You're thinking you're going to get rid of it in five months?
0: Yeah, and it still it does need some other things. It needs uh, rear shock struts, all that stuff. So no. I mean, um, I wanted to get it back to proper running order, and it's it's getting the Toyota Crunchies as you call
1: it. Yeah, so, the, uh, the exhaust. Yeah, uh, you know, brother, I think that to let that car sit five months will probably be the death of it. It's okay. You know, you let a house sit empty, you let a car sit still for a long period of time, weird things happen, and I think you're better off buying a better quality alternator. Something that's got, you know, a year warranty, a two-year warranty, I think it then becomes a selling feature. At least it shows people you took care of the car. If it's like typical Toyotas of that generation, it's only got 150,000 miles on it, it's got some time. The other thing to think about is, you know, letting it sit, the fact that it's a four-cylinder, the Toyotas of that generation, the four-cylinders especially, had a very low-tension ring on it, piston ring. You let it sit, it's going to varnish up, you go to start it, and all of a sudden it'll start to smoke and use oil. You're better off driving it on a regular basis until you're ready to get rid of it. Because, like I said, letting it sit could be a problem. You know, you can compare parts prices very well. Get out to OReillyAuto.com. Even if you don't have an OReilly Auto parts near you, you can get out to OReillyAuto.com. You can look at all the national pricing, see if they carry Denso, or look at some of the other lines that they carry. And you can actually talk to them and find out what the warranties are. This way, when you sell it, somebody's got a warranty from a national parts supplier, and uh, you know they're in good shape that way, and it becomes a selling feature of the car.
3: How
0: uncommon were those manual transmission Camrys? Because I've never seen one. Uh, like very my un- wife has a 2009, and I'd never seen them.
1: Very uncommon. Very uncommon well nobody knows how to That's drive stick no, no yeah nobody and nobody drives stick anymore so it becomes a it becomes a very 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 uncommon vehicle but um yeah, either that you know what Ryan keep it drive it you could turn it into a race car uh, next spring you, you could hit the uh, junior derby track but um, however you want to do it Ryan I appreciate the call and you uh, have yourself a good uh, a good Thanksgiving I'm Ron and Annie and the car doctor'll we be back right after this. For the
0: best in car advice, give Ron a call, 855 560
1: 9900. Now, back to Ron. Let's go to Dave in Philadelphia, 11 Toyota Sienna minivan. David, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help?
3: Oh, thank you very much. My best friend, Bob from New York, takes my car to you and he suggested I give you a call with this question. Cool beans. Uh, Yeah, uh, 2011 minivan, purchased new, front wheel drive, currently 140,000 miles. I expect to get 200K out of it. Uh, I'm being told by Toyota that the world standard ATF fluid lasts <laughs> the lifetime of the car. Uh, and, you know, it makes me ponder what they mean by lifetime.
1: Well, um, I think they mean until you get ready to go buy a new car because um, when, yeah. trans- when the transmission breaks. Y- you know, I-, I had this conversation just two days ago with someone. They were asking me about changing trans fluid on a Honda. And. You know, same answer. Honda's telling everybody it's lifetime or it never needs to be changed and so on. My first question is, yeah, then march back into the dealership and just look to see, do they have have a guy that's doing transes and do they still have their transmission rebuilding tools? Because when the manufacturers tell the dealers to throw away the transmission rebuilding tools, that's when I know it's okay not to change trans fluid. And, And I realize that's a radical statement, but it's the truth, right? If, if, the right. tr- if the trans is supposed to last the lifetime of the car, if the fl- well, if the fluid's supposed to last the lifetime of the car, then why does the trans break? What else goes wrong with it? Something wears out, and something has to wear out either because mechanically it's wrong or the fluid is bad. I, you know, this mindset about stuff lasts forever is ridiculous. It's 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 the marketing tool of a of of a, of somebody trying to get you to buy something based on you know it'll last forever it'll never break oh it broke hey buy another one uh, you know and 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 I absolutely,
3: I absolutely agree with you and I talked to the guys at Clear and they're low to do it uh, and I squeezed their world standards and they finally said yeah we'll do it between three fifty and five And hundred I'm thinking really I mean granted I'm happy to pay that money now than avoid a transmission or a new car later. I don't think right. that's big big money.
1: No, it isn't. It isn't. I you know Toyota WS fluid, all right? Now, you know again, regional issues. I always I always think about this. It's it's regional conversations about auto repair in in North Jersey, all right, in the New York metro area, the standard seems to be when I talk to people That the dealers will change W S automatic trans fluid for Toyotas at the hundred thousand mile mark. That's when they expect to do it. Some dealers are doing it in the fifty to sixty mark. We do it in the fifty to sixty mark. We believe that W S is good. Fifty to sixty, we'll do a we'll do a drain and fill. Sometimes we drop the pan at customer request. Sometimes you know based on access of it. You know how much work is it to get to it to get it out? Or we is it overkill? is my point. Right, Um, right. You you know, so, you know, if you do it every 50 to 60, every 50,000 is a good number, I think you're in the game. I really do. Uh, Uh, Gotcha. uh, Yeah, 140? That fluid's, that, first of all, if it's not low on fluid, the fluid's got to be black by now, and the problem will be, the concern will be that, you know, trans fluid is a very Detergent, very high scrubbing action fluid. There's a lot of varnish buildup and a lot of sediment buildup in that trans. Now we're going to put some really clean fluid in there that's going to have scrubbing capability, and it's going to wash the varnish and the sediment and swirl it around. How does an automatic transmission work? Hydraulic pressure. And we're going to start. Right. We're going to start to clog ports and create issues. Uh, you know, when do you want to have the problem? I I would change it now because I'm looking for the problem now. If I have it now, I'm prepared for it. Rather than, you know, at the 180, 200,000 mile mark, you know, I'm on the way to grandma's house with Christmas presents and the family and the trans breaks. Uh, So
3: are you thinking, though, I've heard arguments saying that the transmission fluid, you replace it, and you get gunk and sediment that's suddenly being released by the new fluid well, that
1: causes you more problems. And that's what I'm talking about. But at this point, not changing it is going to become a bigger problem. So I think it's time to roll the dice, change it, and absolutely hope for the best. And while you're in there changing trans-fluid, think about, if it is an all-wheel drive, think about the rear diff fluid. Make sure you got the right drain plug gaskets for that. And uh, take a look and think about brake fluid and coolant as well. Appreciate the call, David. Call if you have any more questions. I'm Ron Anany Car Doctor, we're back right after this. First
2: gear,
1: it's all to gear, the to Welcome back. What I'm of the car doctor. The um, the uh, I gotta tell you the the absolute best um, uh, car in the show last week. Uh, had to be the seventy SS four fifty four Monte Carlo that um, was really you know, whew, boy, that thing was so sharp, it just it was it it, it looked it it looked like a giant model. Um, but just it was it was something that I you know wow yeah unbelievable. Um but just a good time down there at the Virginia Beach Auto Show. It was um <laughs> you know, some of the sites, um the Hooters girls, the I think they were the Lizard lick girls walking around. There was one girl walking around on stilts, which was quite a sight to see. Um, I, you know, just some of the neat things. A lot of military trucks out in the lobby. Uh, was really crazy. We went to Waterman's afterwards for lunch, and I, I have to do a special shout-out to someone that we made a fan um, for Tony, our, our, our server down there. Um, we got to talking about cars, and we, we answered a couple of car questions with Tony, and um, uh, somehow we got on the subject of the radio. I, I, Josh... Lang from Talk Media Network was with me and um, Kathy, um, his, his, his uh, girlfriend, and uh, we were talking and um, uh, answered a couple of questions and we explained to Tony what we were there for and he kind of like, he just wasn't quite sure so I said to him this next week, I'd do a shout out. So Tony, um, I have to tell you the clam ripper sandwich was excellent. It was really the best, uh, one of the best clam sandwiches I've ever had. I love the restaurant. Um, I'll be back sometime when the wind isn't blowing as hard because they have hurricane-proof windows in the restaurant at Waterman's because you're right on the beach. Everything is right on the beach in Virginia Beach if you eat and you know on the strip there it's crazy. But uh, Waterman's was definitely the place to go. And uh, when we come back next year, if there is a next year, we will uh, we will stop back at Waterman's and uh, as you all should and have another great lunch. And um, you know it's definitely worth the trip. Uh, let's get over and talk to Gus in Miami. 2010 Honda CRV and a heat issue. Gus, you're in Miami. Why do you need heat?
2: <laughs> uh, once or twice a year, we need heat. Not not really heat. We just need to defrost our windows. And once or
1: out- once or twice a year, brother, my heart's yeah. breaking. All right, uh, <laughs> come to come to New Jersey. All right, no, you know, no thanks. The land of, we came down here. The, the the land of you know, like everybody around here is just hoping for June. It's like we can skip over the next six months. We're like, yay! Is it June first? So, <laughs> how can I help you, brother? What's going on?
2: Yeah, so Ron, I got my old lady in a 2010 CRV, and I got no uh, no no def no heat, so I got no defrost. We don't okay. really use the heat, but I have no defrost. Okay. I got the air going through it. You know, uh, I've listened to your show enough. I'm I'm thinking check the inlet outlet hose of the the heater matrix, right. maybe thermostat. Uh, I just want to you know run me down the order of how you might okay. go about doing that. So
1: my first question is: Is there a check engine light on? There's not. Okay, and the reason I ask that is because a 2010 is smart enough. If there was a, if there was an issue with the thermostat, you would likely see a P0128 or a 126 fault code for a coolant temp not up to speed. So, obviously, I'd still want to look at it on a scan tool. What is the computer seeing? But chances are you're okay temperature-wise. If you bring the engine up to full heat or full temperature, let's we'll stay with that. If you bring it up to full temperature, lift the hood... And you know, carefully wrap your hand around the upper radiator hose. Is it warm to the point of being almost painful to the touch? I,
2: I, I wouldn't say painful to the touch. No, okay. I wouldn't say
1: that. So no. if if it's if you put your hand on the upper radiator hose and then feel the two heater hoses, one of the two heater hoses should match what you're feeling. All right. So you know, if this is lukewarm, that should be lukewarm, and the other hose should be colder. Coming out, all right. Right, the inlet should be the same
2: temperature as my upper heater. Yeah, with, th- within reason. Roughly, right. Roughly. right.
1: So, is this cold air, cool air, lukewarm air? What is it?
2: You know what? I haven't. I I,
1: I, I haven't personally gotten in the car, and
2: you know, since my wife's been complaining about this lately. Okay. So, but I, I briefly went in today, and I would say it was. You know, I let it get up to temperature. I would say it was. You know, outside air just ambient temperature, whatever right.
1: it is outside, 75. And so out so what do you do for a living, Gus? Uh, I'm a
2: mechanical engineer in uh, the construction right. business.
1: So let's go down to the auto parts store. Do you have an O'Reilly Auto Parts near you? Run yeah, down, right down r- the street. Run, run down to the local O'Reilly Auto Parts and get yourself a dash thermometer. You know, it look, looks like the t- – don't don't take the turkey baster thermometer. She's going to need it Thursday, all right? <laughs> get, get down to O'Reilly <laughs> Auto Parts and get yourself – uh, tell them you want an air conditioning duct thermometer. Stick it in. Stick it in the vent duct. Okay, and you know, right. set the vent to set the airflow to vent, and then turn the heat up full. Take the car for a ride. All right. Okay. The average car at duct temperature should produce somewhere around 140 to 160 degrees of heat. And and while that sounds extreme, what you have to realize is that, you know, your your skin is your biggest organ, and what's going to happen is that hot air coming out of the duct, by the time it reaches your skin, is going to lose roughly 30 to 50 degrees of temperature right. before it touches your skin, so that your body's perception to be warm needs that extreme difference. Right. All right? So you should,
2: fusion.
1: You, right. you should see between 140 and 160 degrees of heat. If you're getting 100 degrees of heat, which it sounds like about what you're going to be getting, all right, uh, we've got to just verify either by scan tool or an infrared heat gun got to go buy more tools more tools more toys I got that. I got all right that. okay where's where's the upper radiator hose all right if, 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 if we're not getting better than 150 degrees of engine heat which it sounds like maybe you've got by the time it gets to the duct works its way through the heater core comes out through the air duct you're, you're, you're down to 120 110. So let's find out what the numbers are that's my point. All right? right. So once we solve the problem of whether or not we've got heat at the engine or enough of a thermostat, enough coolant in the radiator, the basic obvious stuff, what are the other things that go wrong with Hondas? We want to take a look at. You know, there should be a water valve in line with that with those heater hoses.
2: Just. I read something about that.
1: Yeah, and and if,
2: diverter valve.
1: Yep, and if there is, see if it's cable operated. Some of these were cable operated, and I've learned from experience that you have to have somebody turn the heat dial or the slide from from cold to hot and back and watch the cable. We had one years ago that drove everybody nuts. We got it in the shop, and we, we went through our usual drill, and it turned out that as we watched it, I still can see it in my mind's eye. As Chris moved the lever, I'm watching the cable, and the center part of the cable stayed put, but the sheath that was around the cable in the clip was moving back and forth. In other words, it wasn't holding it properly and the lever was actually moving the sheathing rather than moving the center part of the cable to slide the valve open or close for heat.
2: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, This one, so so I actually looked at the the heater uh, hoses kind of going through the firewall, right? I didn't really see any type of what I might consider because, like, obviously, if we had a valve, a diverter valve or whatever they're saying, that would be that would be obviously ducted into some sort of piping, yes. correct? So,
1: so it may not have it. So, at that okay. point, if we don't have a valve. And we're still, and we're getting hot on one side and cooler on the other, but not real scalding heat. Here's that thermometer. Here's that need for the thermometer again. Right, okay? right. Yeah. We've got to set ourselves up with, all right, you've got to get out. Uh, when, you're, when you're down at O'Reilly Auto Parts, you want to get yourself a white bucket, a decent-sized white bucket, s- some lengths of heater hose, and then stop by your local hardware store if O'Reilly Auto Parts doesn't have it. You want to make up some hose ends for the garden hose. Okay, okay. And you're making okay. you're making up your own flush kit. All right, don't don't okay. don't cut the factory hoses. They're 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 too hard and too expensive to replace. Don't put a flushing tee in. Just make your own. Where you're gonna take one length of heater hose, dump it in the white bucket, take the other length of heater hose with the water um, adapt for the garden hose adapter on the end of it, hook it up to the garden hose, and don't run a lot of water pressure through it. Okay. Uh, what I've done is, when you're down there, get like a brass shutoff that you can limit and restrict flow. Turn the oh, yeah. water on gently, and you'll dump one end into the bucket, and then give it a minute. Flip the hoses around, reverse the process, dump the other end in the bucket. Look to see if any crud comes out of the core. Now you want to go. You want to go easy. Because if you go too hard and the core is weakened, you could possibly pop a leak on the core and have to put a heater core in it. But at that point, if, if it's that bad, you're going to end up having to put a core in it anyway. Better to find out now rather than later, if you get my well, point. Well, at
2: that point... In Florida, I'd probably just bypass it at that point and deal with the two days I need to defrost. Right. Day. Well, <laughs> at, yeah. At,
1: at that point, it's going to be hold, 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 hold a match on the inside of the windshield to defrost yourself. You know, those, those <laughs> two days a year. Give your wife a real, a real strong flashlight. Um, either that, or I can I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be driving her car, and she'll really be enjoying yours. So um, yeah, I, I, I know that works. All right, Gus. Do those things. Let me move along, and um, we'll uh, we'll talk again if you need me. You know where to find me. And I appreciate you uh, listening to us down there miami way i'm ron Anady and the car doctor we are back right after this <music> welcome back ron Anady and the car doctor i uh, little movie review well a big movie review last weekend after the uh, virginia beach uh coastal auto show the coastal virginia beach uh the virginia beach coastal auto show i'll get that right cva coastal virginia auto show that's what it was i'll get it right for next year folks promise um i have to go back next year the um you know, it was such a it was such a down to earth experience and such a regional experience as to you could see how forty years ago what people were buying, what the car tastes were and what became the hand me down car, right? It was it was a lot you know, there were there weren't a lot of and I, I noticed this, for some reason there weren't a lot of Chryslers. There weren't you know, it it's whether it's Affluence, whether it's it's more blue collar, um, a blue collar neighborhood type of thing, but you didn't see like Chrysler Imperials. You didn't see a lot of Mopars, a lot of Plymouths. I didn't see at the show. There was a lot of Chevrolet, ton of Ford. Okay, uh, you know NASCAR was down there. There's no NASCAR that comes to shows up here. Lee Petty's, uh, Richard Petty's fathers. I think it was a. I'm going to get this wrong, and I apologize. I thought it was a Hudson. Um, Lee Petty's Hudson was there from the 50s. You know, very early NASCAR memorabilia. You could see the, the, the influence that cars have in that part of the country. And like I always say, it's a regional experience. Everything is, is very different. So I was not disappointed for that. I also wasn't disappointed. Saturday night, uh, myself and some of the people we were with, we went out to see Ford versus Ferrari. And I can only sum it up in, in three words, Oh. My God. All right. I never met Carol Shelby. I have his autograph, actually, because, you know, Shelby Jimmy, my friend Jimmy, who owns a, 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 a real Shelby, got me his autograph. He went on a um, a, um, a cruise with Carol. It was like a cruise with Carol Shelby, and Jimmy and a bunch of other Shelby owners went out, though, more than a few years ago. Carol's gone a, a while now. And um, Jimmy, you know, got me his autograph very, very thoughtfully. And Jimmy always told me, he says, he's just such a down-to-earth no nonsense, get it done kind of guy. He was a chicken rancher from Texas that turned to racing. That had to stop racing in the late fifties because he was having eyesight issues, right? And then heart conditions, and he always he took pills the rest of his life. And that's evidence throughout the movie, you know. And you could see. Uh, you know Matt Damon nailed it to the point that you he acted that he was so annoyed having to take these heart pills and that's the way Carol Shelby was. He was like you know I can't say the word here on radio but it was darn pills right it just it just drove him crazy you know it just like I just don't want to do this but the scene where Carol Shelby is trying to convince Henry Ford II on who should drive the car and I won't give it away too much if you haven't seen it I don't want to be the spoiler. But when he says to Henry Ford II, why don't you come down here and I'll show you all what $9 million can buy, I almost fell out of the chair. $9 million in 1965 is just a staggering amount of money. And we've all seen the clip on TV where, where Carol Shelby takes Henry Ford around the airport runway because Shelby America was based in an airplane hangar. So, you know, how fast does the car go? Well, we'll head out to the runway and I'll show you. All right? Um, he had Henry Ford crying he was the guy was in tears and it's just it was just a pure race car from that perspective but it's just a good solid movie a little slow in the beginning as they build it but you could see they were building something no pun intended as they were building the car that it really is a must see movie whether you're a car person or not and you know it, it it's just you know, a tale of American ingenuity is is probably the best way to describe it. Back when, you know, it, we really thought and and, you know, there were there were calculated reasoning on how we approach things and it wasn't you know, nobody was pushing buttons, nobody was on their cell phone, nobody was Facebooking, nobody was YouTubing. They were working, they were taking things apart and um, just <laughs> to a degree throwing money away to make this $9 million car work. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, but, you know, by definitely in all means, get yourself a big a big uh, tub of popcorn and uh, put a lot of butter on it because you're not going to want to leave and get up at any moment in that movie. It's a no-break movie. So uh, definitely worth seeing Ford versus Ferrari. eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. 560 Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor at your service when we return right after this. Welcome back, Ron and Andy, The Car Doctor. Let's do a uh, real fact, sure, track repair. This comes to us courtesy of Mitchell One. Recently, a 1999 Ford Ranger came into a repair shop with a check engine light on. That was the complaint when they scanned it for codes that had a P0171 and a P0174. Lean fuel conditions, both banks. A lean fuel condition is, is defined as every vehicle has a base fuel trim to work from. If it adds more than a certain percentage to that vehicle, means it means that the vehicle is off its base fuel trim or that it's running lean. It's having to add extra fuel. The computer is calculating based on air volume or based on O2 sensor activity that uh, that vehicle is lean and it has to add more fuel to it, trying to bring it into emissions compliance. They went through several diagnostic steps, including everything from fuel filter check and replacement to fuel pressure and also looking for vacuum leaks. And when none were found, it was noticed that the vehicle had an extremely large oil leak. The oil leak was then diagnosed just on the chance that, gee, what if the oil is leaking and there's possible extra air being added to the system from that? Well, the fact became that prior to the oil leak being fixed, they pulled the PCV valve out and they saw fuel trim start to change. How could that be? Turns out that the rear main seal on the engine was leaking. That's right. The oil leak was that big. The vehicle had been driven long enough that the oil leak at the rear main seal had got to be large enough that it was allowing extra air to be drawn in past it and it was actually skewing the fuel trim numbers and causing a lean fuel condition. They replaced the rear main seal, cleaned up the engine, put it back together, and cleared codes, drove it. Fuel trims came back to normal, and lo and behold, everything was as it's supposed to be. Sometimes you got to pay attention to all the details. Information like this and more repairs at MitchellOne.com. I'm Ron Anani and The Car Doctor. I'm reminding each and every one of you, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya.